0: Uh, well this morning, as I said before, we are in this series called Christmas at the Movies. And in this series, we have been looking at popular Christmas movies. Because when I think of Christmas time, uh, one of the things that I think about is, uh, traditions of gathering with family and friends and watching different Christmas movies. And there are so many, uh, classics, uh, there are so many, uh, debates that we could have over what are the best ones. And so we've selected four that we've been looking at the idea of if we look at these movies that weren't created to point us to Jesus, can we find Jesus and his truth in the midst of it? Because we believe that Jesus, when he would teach, he would use these stories called parables. And a parable was a story that didn't have to necessarily be factually true, but Jesus would use to tell to help bring out his truth to others. And oftentimes he would use uh, common examples of that time to help do that. And we believe that movies have the opportunity to be a bit of a parable. And so if you haven't been here with us, we've been talking about some of the themes of uh, Advent. Advent means uh, arrival or expectation. And the season of Advent or this Christmas season is all about anticipating the expectation of Jesus, the Savior, coming into the world. And so in week one, we looked at the idea of hope, and we looked at it through the lens of the movie Home Alone. And we talked about how uh, we all need a Savior, and without a Savior, we are Hopeless, And that the good news is that we have a savior in jesus last week We talked about peace and we looked at the christmas classic. It's a wonderful life And we talked about how there's this idea that we can experience peace or shalom because of jesus being present in our life And it isn't dependent on our circumstances or our scenarios, but it's dependent on his goodness and his presence this morning I am really excited to talk about joy And when I think about joy and I think about kind of Christmas movies and characters, there's very few people I can think of who are more joyful than Buddy the Elf. Now, it's crazy to think, I think of of it being sort of a newer movie, but when I kind of like had to come to grips with it, it's like 12 years old now, which is crazy to me. Uh, I still remember watching it for the very first time at my friend's house, our youth group at the time. Uh, We were doing this thing where we'd kind of do like dinner and a movie, and I honestly, like it was not on my radar when it came out. And I remember just crying, laughing when I first watched it. I still think it's hilarious. Uh, In a moment, we'll watch uh, a few clips of just some moments from Elf. But if you haven't seen Elf before, number one, do yourself a favor and go watch it. It'll make you feel better about life. But let me give you kind of a synopsis. I'm going to try not to give too many spoiler alerts, but come on now. It's been out long enough. So here's the story. And when I tell this, it sounds a little less like You'd see when I think about it. So the story uh, begins with Orphan Buddy. We actually don't even know that his name is Buddy at the time, but he is an orphan. And it's Christmas Eve, and at the orphanage, he, he escapes his crib, and he winds up in Santa's uh, magic bag of presents. And they get back to uh, uh, Santa's workshop in the North Pole, and they're all celebrating just the fact that they had another great Christmas. And all of a sudden, this little baby comes out of the bag. And that starts this whole story of how they name him Buddy because he's wearing these diapers that say Buddy. And he is raised then by elves for the rest of his life. And, you know, Will Ferrell is, is a pretty tall guy, you know, kind of like me. He's like six, you know, something or other. Um, and uh, some of you are like, I don't know you. I can't tell how short you are. I'm a nice, maybe 5'10 on a good day if I wear tall shoes, okay? And anyways, so Buddy ends up having this 30-year period of his life where he has all of these moments where he is like this fish out of water, where he doesn't feel like he's fitting in. And he has 30 years where he doesn't realize that he is a man in an elf's world. And it it eventually happens where he finds out, he figures out after 30 years, that he is not an elf, and his world in some ways comes crashing down, and it sets him on this adventure to go to New York, where he finds out that his dad never knew he was born, and his mom gave him up to it for adoption, and she died. And it's kind of sad when you think about that part. Uh, and he goes off on this adventure to New York City to find his father, Walter, who is on the naughty list, and is sort of like this Scrooge character. He's just sort of this curmudgeon, everything is not great, all he cares about is success. And the rest, as they say, is history. And maybe you've seen the movie and you know that the whole storyline is about Buddy finding a new family and identity and refinding the joy of Christmas, which for him, his joy, his center uh, for joy is based on Santa Claus and on Christmas spirit. And his father ends up having a transformation as well. So, before we dive deep into the message and talk a little bit about joy, why don't you guys enjoy a few clips, some of my favorite moments in ELF. Check out the screen. looks like a christmas tree uh... i'm I'm here with my dad and we never met and he wants me to sing him a song (laughs) and um, i was adopted but you didn't know i was born so i'm here now i found you daddy and guess what i love you i love you i love you that was weird who sent this christmas grail it's a Christmas gram. I want one. Fruit spray? Sure. Uh, 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 Have you seen these toilets? They're ginormous. Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Santa's coming to town here i know him i know him to be here to take pictures with all the children yeah. I'm, singing, I'm, store, I'm singing i'm in a store and i'm singing i'm in a store and i'm singing there's no singing in the north pole That's easier. Did you hear that? (laughs) Buddy Deal, what's your favorite color for this house? Marvelous. I didn't know you had elves working here. Boy, you're you're hilarious, my friend. He doesn't. The cover above the title. Does Santa know that you left the workshop? You know, we're all laughing our heads off. Did you have to borrow a reindeer to get down here? Buddy. Go back to the base. Hey. Feeling strong, my friend. Call me elf one more time. He's an angry elf. Look at you! Ow! Hey! I wasn't ready for that. Call me Elf one more time. Call me Elf. You're an Elf. You can't watch that movie and not feel better. When I, when I think of newer kind of Christmas movies too, I can't think of one that is more quotable, where, uh, it's probably not abnormal for me to quote a line from that movie once a month at some points. One of my favorite things about Buddy the Elf though, is when you think about his life. I mean, think about this. This is a, uh, someone who is, uh, comes from an unwanted pregnancy, is put up for adoption. Then not only goes from that, but then goes to this other sort of species of people. You know, he, he becomes this man who identifies as an elf. Uh, he has an interesting upbringing. I mean, can you imagine having all of your, your kind of world just shattered, uh, at age 30? Can you imagine going on this adventure by yourself into this new place that is frightening? Can you imagine finding this person who you long for to love you and accept you, not really love you? And accept you. He goes through all of these things, and yet during this whole time, he primarily has this positive, joyful disposition about him. And while we could probably make the argument too that maybe Buddy the Elf is kind of like clinically insane in some ways, which we're not going to go that way, well, um, I think it's because he has this disposition in this joy that's not founded in what's going on around him, but's founded in this idea for himself That he so believes in Santa, he so believes in the idea of Christmas spirit and the goodness of Christmas, that it is unshakable. This morning I want to talk about joy, and I want to talk about how in the same way we could have a sense of joy like Buddy, although our source is a little bit different. So let's talk about joy. Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce the Greek and Hebrew words up there today because I already forgot them and I'll look like a fool. And if anyone knows them uh, today, but uh, as we've talked about every week, uh, the Bible was not written uh, in English. It was originally written in uh, Hebrew for the Old Testament and Greek and Aramaic for the New Testament. And so oftentimes we have to go to different root words and understand them greater. Now, joy, uh, when it's translated uh, in in both the New Testament and the Old Testament, can mean a variety of things. It can quite literally mean a feeling of happiness. It can mean uh, glad tidings. It can mean uh, a positive disposition. But if I was going to kind of give you my definition of joy or how I think about joy from a biblical standpoint, it's just this. Joy is an attitude that is a gift from God. It's a byproduct of living a life led by the Spirit, and its source is Jesus. Joy is, is, is all about this idea of a deep abiding. As Jesus wrote this idea of abide in me or remain in me, this idea of, of if he is the vine and we are the branches, it all has to do with this idea that you can't truly experience it apart from connection with him. And joy is not merely dependent upon our circumstances and our scenarios, where happiness is chiefly based off Things in my life are going well or something nice happened to me. Joy is not about that. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the connection of uh, joy and happiness in a moment, but that's one of the main distinguishers for joy. Joy's root is not in life is going well. Our joy is rooted in Jesus, in his promises, in his goodness. Rick Warren, who is uh, a famous pastor in uh, California, he wrote the book Purpose Driven Life, which uh, you know was a bestseller in the early 2000s, and you can find about 30 copies in every goodwill. Uh, I remember one Christmas I got four copies of it, so um, go me. But he had a great line about joy, I think. He says this, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. That's joy. Now let's talk a little bit about joy versus happiness. As I said before, happiness is rooted in this concept that things are going well. I got a bonus at work. I feel happy. My child got selected as the student of the month. I feel happy. My child slept five hours straight last night. That's really true for me. I feel really happy this morning. But honestly, there are days where, I don't know about you, things go bad in my life and I don't feel happy. I get a flat tire. I don't feel happy. I figure out that uh, I forgot to make a certain payment on a bill and there's a late fee. I'm not happy. There's uh, chaos in a relationship. I'm not necessarily typically feeling happy. Happiness, again, is rooted in this idea that uh, things are going well, whereas joy, joy, we oftentimes experience a lot of the same emotions as happiness, but they're a little bit different. Now, in Scripture, oftentimes, they're a little bit used interchangeably in certain ways, and I think what can become an issue in some church uh, traditions is this. We, we we kind of get to this idea where we think happiness is a bad thing. We go and think happiness is all about human desires and pleasures, and we we need to be holy, and God doesn't want us to be happy. There's, there's those veins, and then there's the other veins where sometimes you have pastors who look like they have uh, Botox that's perpetually left a smile on their face. And everything is happy, and everything is always good. And we are, are called to be blessed and be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And I think both teachings are wrong and outside of what uh, Jesus taught. I think there's this middle ground where I believe with my whole heart that God wants us to be happy i think he does do you know why because it it talks about in scripture that god is a good father and i guarantee if i was to ask any parent in this room what do they want for their children well i'm sure they would have other things to say i'm sure there would be some sort of vein that you would say i want my child to be happy i mean to be honest if i asked a parent if they wanted their child to be happy or not and they said no i don't want them to be happy i'd probably be like hey can we call cps or something because this person's a little crazy And if I was to ask most any person in this room, in your own life, what do you want? If we really got into the core, deep down desires of our hearts, both the good and the bad, I think most of us would say, yes, I would like to be happy in my life. Now the issue becomes is we step over the line of what God created happiness or joy for when all we want is happiness and we seek it apart from God. You see, the thing is, God has designed us to experience happiness and joy in the context of relationship with Him. That not only, first of all and foremost, the most important thing that should bring us joy is just the fact that because of Him we have new life. That He is a Father who desires to be in relationship with us. That each one of us were created as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, in his greatest heartbeat and desire, his mission through the ages has been to restore relationship with us. He wants to make you happy. The issue becomes is that we seek momentary happiness in things, both good and bad, that are not lasting, that fade. Every single one of us, if we were to get our dream job, our dream, our dream house, our dream spouse, our dream child, at the end of the day, every single one of them, although they can be great gifts from God, although they can be good things, will eventually not keep your happiness flame lit. Every single thing of those things will eventually wear off. And the issue becomes is we can choose this idea of trying to pursue happiness like a drug. That we can't wait until we can get the next fix. And when we become so focused on just those things, what happens is we miss Jesus in the midst of it all. Because we're so focused on finding things outside of him. And the other end, the issue can become is that we try to look for God to become sort of like the the mom and dad at Christmas time asking for every little thing. And oftentimes we're asking for a list of things that that just chiefly we want. And oftentimes we haven't started by saying to our Heavenly Father, God, what do you want for me? Joy comes from the standpoint of having a heart posture that says, you are a Father who knows better than I know. You know what will make me feel happiness and joy that won't bring me down low? What should I want and what should I desire? Now, Back to this whole idea of a a theology or a thinking of God in, in, in happiness and holiness is just this. Is that I do believe that you can be happy and holy at the same time. Sometimes I think we get that mixed up where we feel like if we're going to be holy or set apart that we can't be happy. But here's the thing. Obedience and joy are not at odds. Oftentimes we talk about this idea uh, uh, where these false notions that if you want to really follow Jesus, you're not going to be happy anymore, and that if you want to be obedient, you're not going to experience the joy that, that, that is for you that you want to experience in life because if you start doing those, it's going to cramp your style and hold you back from things. And that's just not true. In fact, the more that I study Jesus, the more I'm convinced that he was the most happy, joyful person of all time. That even though in uh, the book of Isaiah it it talks about this idea that he was a man of sorrows, he was also a man of deep joy. I mean, think about this. Everywhere that Jesus goes, it's significant in uh, this ancient culture that it talks about oftentimes when Jesus would go to places, children would want to be around him. Now, first of all, it's significant because children were not seen as valuable or really great in that culture. So the fact that they would even write about children or the fact that Jesus would call children great and that we should want to enter the kingdom of God like them is significant. But just think about this. Have you ever met a person who is grumpy and not fun that kids actually like? I mean, seriously, think about that. Kids have a really great radar and read on people, don't they? Like, they know, like, if you're not fun, they're sort of like, yeah, I don't really want to be around you. But they can find a fun person. They can find someone who is happy and joyful. And when we read in the scriptures, it's unsurprisingly that it talks oftentimes how Jesus had children who wanted to be around him. We also find that Jesus oftentimes was doing healings and was going to and from uh, different meals. I mean, you can't not have, at least for me, I have a hard time not feeling better about life when I eat. I'm just going to be honest. I feel better. Like I I get really like it's probably some of you are like we can tell. We've seen that your 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 size. You went from a medium to a large when you moved here. Uh, and that is true. Don't be hating on me. Uh But food gets me really excited. Maybe it gets you really excited too. Think about this. When you see someone be healed or you hear great news about uh, a medical diagnosis, you are excited, aren't you? I mean, no one ever like goes to the hospital after they're waiting on test results to know whether or not they're going to have some sort of illness and they get good test results and no one leaves and be like, woohoo. No, they're excited. There's joy and there's excitement. And so Jesus was a very, very happy person. And so let's talk about what what, what, what we read about joy and happiness in scripture. Uh, in, in, in Psalm uh, chapter 4, verses 7, it just says this. David wrote this. He said, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You've put more joy in my heart then and in, in you could you could fill in the blank with with wine or uh, grain by saying uh, success or money or status or job or wealth. You can fill in the blank. God can put more joy in your heart than any material possession in this world. In Zephaniah, which is an Old Testament book, which is fun to say, Zephaniah, uh, Zephaniah chapter three, it just says this: The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exude over you with joy, and he will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. In Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul wrote this. He said, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. In the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus wrote uh, uh, he gave his famous Sermon on the Mount. This is sort of his long teaching. that's sort of the manifesto of the kingdom of God and being a follower of Jesus. He began with this section of teaching called the Beatitudes. And he wrote this. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say any, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I love the way that Jesus teaches, and it also frustrates me so much. Because it's so counterintuitive to say, blessed, or rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted on my account. When we translate different words, if you were to look uh, at the Greek word that's used for blessed in the New Testament, and in particular in uh, this section of teaching, you could actually translate the word to be happy. And so when Jesus gives the Beatitudes, you could actually swap out the word blessed for happy. So if we were to read it again, it would say, happy are you when people insult you. Anyone else feel happy when people insult you or falsely accuse you? I don't see a lot of hands this morning. You see, Jesus says this and writes this because he wants us to get this idea that happiness and joy that comes from him is not dependent on the present moment. That it's not just about that. While, yes, he wants us to experience joy and happiness in the moment, that we really should see the bigger picture. Because he says this, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You see, joy sees the bigger picture. Joy is a gift that helps us have a heart change that sees the bigger picture. That when we are in the midst of the valley, we know that someday we're going to get to the party in heaven. And great is our reward there. That our present circumstances are not our forever circumstance. That though there may be mourning right now, there will be joy in the morning as the psalmist wrote. Now, in Isaiah, uh, the prophet, and a prophet is just a person who was a spokesperson for God. God would, especially in the Old Testament, use these people not just to predict future things, but to speak to his people uh, during that time period. In, in Isaiah was a prophet who uh, has multiple uh, different sort of uh, prophecies, predictions, uh, announcements about what the coming Savior would be like and how we would know about him. It's the one that we read oftentimes where it talks about how, uh, for unto us a child is born. Uh, you might have heard that one before. But this one comes from uh, Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11. It just says this, Those the Lord has rescued will return. And they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is a prediction. This is a talking about the Savior. That someday when the Savior comes, people, the people of God will experience a crown of joy. Their sorrow and sighing will flee away. And this will be something exciting. Now, Let's go to the Gospel of Luke. Now in the Gospel of Luke, it's one of two Gospels that really tells us sort of the story of Christmas that we know. And and, and this is why we talk about joy during this time of year. In uh, Luke chapter 1 verses 11 through 14, this is talking about Zechariah. Zechariah is the father of uh, uh, John the Baptist. Zechariah was a priest, and he goes in to perform his priestly duties in the temple, and this is what happens to him. It says, "Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Pause for a moment Again. It's all throughout Scripture, but especially in the Christmas story. Time and time again, God speaks and brings some sort of news to people, and it always begins with them being afraid, and there being a message of do not be afraid. So don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John, and he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Now, backstory on this, uh, Zechariah uh, and his wife Elizabeth uh, were older in age. They had longed for being parents, and it just never had happened, and it, they had kind of lost hope in this. And so this is a big news, and it goes on by saying, if you don't know kind of the story of the gospel, uh, God uses John the Baptist, who would be Jesus' cousin, Uh, To announce the good news to kind of prep the people to let them know that the savior of the world was coming and to prepare your hearts And so he says though that he will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth because it's the announcement It's the precursor That finally the savior is here This reminds me of another thing that I think is helpful to understand about joy is that joy is more powerful than fear joy is more powerful than fear that what I've found in my own life oftentimes is when I am living a life, when I'm choosing a heart posture of joy, oftentimes things that used to make me afraid don't stick anymore. There are things that in my past would have gotten me down. And when I have joy, it's as if uh, I, got, I got on the, the shades to block the haters. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't get me down because my focus is not in just this temporary situation, but my focus is on Christ. I know that in the grand scheme of things, everything is going to be okay. And I don't have to be afraid because I recognize to this idea that my God is a God who is both with me and is for me. That as we learn in the gospel of John, it talks about how the word became flesh or Jesus. God became flesh and he dwelled among us. That today, we don't have a distant God who's far away from us, but we have a God who draws near. Not only that, we have a God who gave us the greatest gift in the Holy Spirit. That when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that Scripture promises us, it tells us, that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. It helps guide us. It helps us uh, know what to do with life. And enjoy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one of the byproducts when we experience a life uh, led by the spirit joy is one of those byproducts now continuing in the gospel of luke in the gospel of luke chapter one it says this mary this is right after mary uh, has the angel visit her and tells her hey you are pregnant by the holy spirit you're going to give birth to the savior of the world you know casual news that doesn't change a lot of your life it just says this at that time mary got ready hurried to a town in the hill countries of Judea, and she entered Zechariah's home, and she greeted Elizabeth. This is her cousin. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, this is John the Baptist up in there, uh, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed or happy are you among women, and blessed or happy is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed or happy is she who has believed in the Lord who will fulfill his promises to her. You see, when we believe in the promises of God, and here's the thing, the promises of God we find in Scripture, we don't find in this place where, where we write our own little um you know, Santa's wish list and say, here you go, Lord, make this happen. But when we begin to orient our life, our desires of our heart being more in tune with him, we begin to ask for the things that he would desire. We experience more joy because when we are living a life led by the spirit, being closer with uh, God, we begin to notice how God blesses us. You know, the older I get, the better I think I'm getting at recognizing the blessings And the ways that God takes care of us, the way that he has came through on promises that he's made to me on a personal level and on a spiritual level. And I think I've gotten better at asking for the things that I think he would ask, he'd want me to ask for. I've stopped saying, God, could you please give me a brand new car and a brand new home? And can you increase all of these things? And while material things, money, health, all of those things aren't bad things and it's not completely wrong to ask for some of those things, I've recognized that the way that God comes through in my life, I don't have to be mad when there's something that I want that he never promised me that I didn't get. I've also begun to realize that the things that I desire in my life have changed. While, yes, I would love for my family to be healthy. Man, at the greatest cry of my heart, I hope my family is spiritually healthy. I hope they know the God of all the universe. I hope that they experience the joy and the peace and the hope that comes only from a life led in community with him. Because at the end of the day, this life is so temporary. It's so short. And while, of course, I want my children, I want my wife, I want my extended family, I want my friends, I want my church family, I want all of you to experience happiness in this life. At the end of the day, I don't want anyone to exchange happiness today when they could have joy for eternity. In Luke chapter 2, this is the famous line that you've all heard if you've seen uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Linus says this when Charlie Brown exclaims, What is Christmas really all about? He reads this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields, nearby keeping their flocks keeping watch over their flocks at nights and the angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone a, shone around them and they were terrified but the angel said to them don't be afraid i bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people today in the town of david a savior has been born to you he is the messiah the lord this will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger and suddenly, a company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, or some translations would say singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. If there's any one moment in history that I could go back and experience, I know some people would love to be there at the resurrection. And so, I mean, I would. But when I think about a party... When I think about a great concert, this is where I'd want to go to. And the beauty of it is just think about this. Hopefully you caught the key line in there that that, that will cause great joy for all people. Think about who this announcement comes to. It's not a king. It's not a dignitary. It's not someone who has the right family history. It's not someone on the right side of the tracks. It comes to shepherds. About as blue-collar, about as plain-jane guys as you could find. And the birth, the announcement, the good news that is for all people comes to shepherds. This reminds us just this, is that the good news of Jesus is for all people. The joy that comes only from Jesus that I've been talking about, some of you may be sitting here thinking, that's only for this group of people. You don't understand my life. No, 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 no. It is for all people it is for the sinners it is for the broken it is for those who go to church every sunday and it's the people who would never dart through the doors here it is for people who pretend to have it all together it is for people who are honest and know they don't have it all together but it's something that comes from a choice of acknowledging that jesus is lord and we are not and it comes from beginning to surrender our lives Now, towards the end of the movie, one of the cool scenes is that Buddy the Elf is kind of walking away, and he's starting to get discouraged, and he ends up having to help Santa Claus, and his faith is restored when he comes face-to-face with sort of the source of his joy, Santa and Christmas spirit, and he is reminded that he was created for a greater purpose, and of course, we have the great scene where the caroling starts and and everything kind of goes well, and it's this beautiful scene, and it just reminds us. That joy is something that is beautiful, it's contagious, it's infectious. In Psalm 51, this is written. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. In Alf, one of the beautiful moments at the end is we eventually, everyone singing this Christmas carol to bring Christmas spirit up. And you find Buddy the Elf's father, Walter, who is sort of just this grumpy guy. And the little brother looks at him and says, you're not actually singing. And he gets him to sing. And of course, you know, Santa's sleigh just barely misses them. Time out, though. Let's just be honest. If Walter never, like, sings, like, that's a really tragic, dark ending, right? Because Santa's just going to plow through all those people. But anyways, I love this psalm because it reminds us this. When we experience the joy of salvation... It calls us to teach people about the goodness of God. To call sinners to turn back, or a better word may be repent, and turn back from him. You see, your joy can point others to Jesus. You know what I've found? Nobody wants to become a Christian. No one wants to follow Jesus. No one wants to surrender to their life to them. If all the examples of followers of Jesus in their life are unhappy judgmental hypocritical people we as followers of jesus should be the most happy joyful people people should see in our life not this crazy uh uh just uh, oblivious to everything going on around us not to pretend like there's not darkness in our world but should we should understand that there is something greater we know the end game we know in the end guess what jesus has already won We know in the end game that our present circumstances may be not great, but we understand the joy and the newness that we'll experience on the other side of eternity. We understand that we can experience good news. I want to end by reading one of Jesus' most famous parables. This comes from Luke chapter 15. And this is what it says. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Pause for a moment. I don't know if I would. I'm not a good shepherd like Jesus. That doesn't seem logical. But apparently Jesus does. And when he finds it, this is what it says. I love this. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together, and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Moral of the story, lesson of the parable, God is a joyful God. And when you are distant from him and you repent, you turn your life from him, uh, away from, from the darkness of walking away from, and you return home. He is throwing a party in heaven for you. Do you recognize that as, uh, as your heavenly father, he has nothing more uh, joyful in his heart than seeing you, his son or daughter, be with him? If you were to look at Jesus's, or if you were to look at God's wallet, it would be this huge wallet where there is just picture after picture of you, and he is so proud and excited that you are his son, you are his daughter. You know what's awesome as an adult now? I don't have to get my parents' gifts anymore because just our presence, quite literally is a gift now. I actually do buy my parents' gifts. Don't think I'm a cheapskate. But seriously, isn't it crazy? There's something fun about delighting in your child and just being with them that you don't need anything from them other than just being with them. This morning, I hope you know that the God of all the universe wants nothing more than just your heart and to be with you. He wants to give happiness not apart from him, but through him. And he wants to give you a joy that's everlasting. I'm going to ask you guys to stand in this moment, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing uh, one more song. And while we sing this song, the the kids are going to come in uh, and get ready to uh sing their song, but I hope that during this moment that you have an opportunity to just allow the God of all the universe to speak to you, to speak words of hope and joy, and that maybe this could be your moment for your life to be changed by Him. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you just so much for the fact that, God, you are the God of all creation. That, God, you are the most joyful thing in all of the world. That, God, that if we want to understand what you are like, God, all we have to do is look at Jesus. He's personified you. And, God, I do believe that he was the most joyful, happy person to ever walk this planet. That, God, Buddy the Elf don't even got anything on him. And so, God, this morning I pray that for some of us, God, maybe we could choose to walk back to you. Maybe some of us could acknowledge that we are that one person. Out of, the, out of the hundred sheep who have wandered away and recognized that our Father, our Good Shepherd, has pursued us and He is standing there and all He wants, more than anything, is for you to allow Him to pick you up and take you home and throw a party. Because He's so excited to have you. So God, this morning, God, whatever you want to do in our hearts, God, I pray that we would know that we could seek your forgiveness and God, we could have new life. God, I pray that we could experience new life in you by committing ourselves to your will and your way to become a disciple of your son, Jesus. God, thank you for your love and thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, would you fill us with joy that is unconquerable. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.